You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church Online Experience. My name is Matt Joy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. And so I have so much that I want to share today. I want to make sure that I get through all of it. So I'm going to just jump right in with Scripture, which is actually a really good way for a sermon to start. So I'm reading out of 1 Peter 1, 6. This is out of the New King Jimmy Version. And Peter says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials. I want to just break that down. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. A little while to God is different than a little while to us. The Bible says that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So you may be saying, I've been enduring these trials, this opposition, and this adversity forever, but you just have to understand God's perspective, who sees things from the beginning to the end, and we only see what's immediately in front of us and what's behind us. So just tuck that away, that God sees our future, and so he can look at our trials, the adversity that we face, and say, you can endure that just for a little while, because a little while to God is different than a little while to us. And it says, you have been grieved by various trials. That word grieved means to be greatly stressed. So we are going to face trials that are going to bring stressors in our lives. But he goes on to say in verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So he's using the illustration of gold to highlight what trials are in the life of a believer it, it, for our faith to be tested. Let me first say that Peter isn't talking about self-inflicted trials, right? Like when Jess and I were newly married, we had nothing. And there were things that we needed, like a laptop or uh, curtains. I remember we bought our first home and it didn't have curtains. I thought curtains just came with a home. I didn't know any better. And so what did we do? Well, we have to have curtains. So we went and we put it on credit. And then we got ourselves into a position, I will never forget, that we had $8,000 in debt. And that may not seem like a lot to you, but it was like the world on top of us. It was like that trillion national deficit that was kept keeps getting larger and larger and larger. That was a self-inflicted trial. And thank God he led us through that. But that was a self-inflicted trial. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about if you are a follower of Christ, you are going to endure trials and opposition. So don't look at it as strange, as odd. Am I doing something wrong? It's a normal part of the Christian life. And God will lead us and teach us how to take up our cross and deny ourselves in the midst of those trials. Now, often when we're enduring trials, and you may be enduring a trial now, 
right? You feel like you are in pain. In other words, there's no way to escape it. You can try to numb yourself, but it's hanging out in the background. You can try to just dig into work at a deeper level, but the pain is still there reminding you, right, that something isn't right. And it may not be physical pain. Often it is emotional, mental, and even a spiritual pain that you're experiencing. And again, pain is a good thing because it alerts us that something is off. In a physical body, if I feel pain in my foot, it stops me in my tracks to take a look at my foot and, and find out what, and investigate what is wrong. And then I realize, oh, I have a cut. I need to heal this. Jeremiah said in, 15, in chapter 15, verse 18, why is my pain perpetual? And many of you may feel like I've been going through this season for a long time. I've been enduring this trial for a long time. And you may be praying things like this. God, just remove this. God, take this away. God, can you just... Uh, Take this pain and get it out. I'm going to speak to my pain and I'm going to cast it out. But let me just tell you something. You can't cast out your flesh, your insecurities, and your deepest fears. You must crucify them, which is why I opened up by saying that God will lead us in taking up our cross and denying ourselves. In Galatians 5.24, this is out of the NIV. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, going back to these trials that we endure and it's testing our faith. Most of us have a wedding ring. This is a uh, tungsten carbide. It only costs like $100. I highly recommend it because there was this trend that you had to buy these super expensive rings, but Jess and I didn't have any money. So this is the ring that we got. I don't even know if it was $100. It's the strongest metal on earth. Anyway, I digress. It's not an infomercial for tungsten carbide. But most people have a gold ring, right? But you know what happens when you heat up a gold ring? If you put it in a furnace at like say a couple of thousand degrees, all right? It liquefies, yes, that's the first thing. But then the impurities start to come to the surface. It starts to separate because guess what? That gold ring isn't just gold. The 14 karat gold ring, right, is 14 parts out of 24 parts gold. So 14 carats out of the 24 carats are gold, but then the other 10 are made up of other metals like uh, copper, zinc, um, and nickel. And as you heat this up in a, in a furnace, right, the impurities come and they begin to separate. Now, here's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, okay? When I have my ring and I haven't put it in the furnace, can you see the zinc? Can you see the nickel? Can you see the copper? And the answer to that question is no, but it is still there. It requires the fire to cause and draw those things, those impurities, to the surface. So much like the ring illustration, God uses, does not author, uses these trials to test our faith, to reveal what's already in us so that we can get rid of those things. Again, the fire just reveals 
what is already there but's been hidden through projected image, through savvy, you know, words to try to, to get you to look in, the, in a different direction. Here's what I want to say. In crucifying ourselves, we talked last week, right, about God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was up to them to get Egypt out of themselves. You can die to yourself without losing yourself. See, it's death to self, but not death of self. Self is signifying the flesh, the flesh that has its sinful desires. And we have to crucify our flesh to show that our flesh doesn't run us, but rather the opposite. John 12, 24 says it like this. And I know that I'm coming at you a million miles a minute because there's so much that I want to share that I, I want you to get, have all of these scriptures. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. We must die in order to be able to multiply. And isn't it interesting that it says unless that kernel dies, it is alone. So choosing not to give into this process ultimately isolates us from the body and robs us of the harvest that God has intended for our lives. Martin Luther said it like this, until a man is nothing, God can make him nothing. <laughs> That's deep, man. See, we all must surrender to the fact that we are being unmade through the process of sanctification. And think of, is a big word, right? Tossed around in church, justification, sanctification. Um, think of sanctification like this. God granted us justification, a once and for all uh, positional holiness in Christ when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And now, now that we have that positional holiness, God guides us into maturity through a practical progressive holiness, not of our own works, okay? As we endure these trials, our impurities, the lies that we've accepted as truth all over the course of our life come to the surface and we work in partnership with God in excavating those lies and letting go of those sins and relying not on our own natural abilities and senses, but relying on God's grace to take us to another level so that we can be set apart. It's holiness is not a product of us pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, but God's redemptive grace. But in order to make room for God, we have to jettison a lot of the things that we picked up along the way in the journey of life. Sanctification happens moment by moment. It's not a one-time silver bullet event. Moment by moment as we surrender our lives to Jesus. We are continually surrendering our lives to Jesus. And let me just give you um, a story. So when I, when I came out of Bible college, I started an internship at Messenger International. And many of you know that have been following me. It's a ministry um, that really is heart is to disciple all of the world, to come alongside the local church. Um, 
and I was there for what was supposed to be a summer. And then I was going to head out. I knew that I was called to full-time ministry. I was going to head out and, you know, probably marry a pastor's daughter, become a youth pastor, and move my way up into the ranks, okay? Or so I thought. And I thought I was ready. Coming out of Bible college, I'm like, yeah, I've got this, right? And so I remember even somebody came up and gave me a word, to the, and they said, to the degree that you yield to the leadership of this ministry, um, it will either shorten or lengthen your time in, in stepping into your ministry, right? Man, you got to really weigh these, these, these words, but this was kind of on. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be here for five months, and then I'm going to jump out into my ministry. Well, 16 years later, 16 years of continually dying to self, of the process of sanctification, because I had so much pride rooted in my heart. I was not even close to being prepared or ready to pastor a church. Trust me, Pines Church, you did not want a 27-year-old Matt Joya coming in here and trying to shepherd your hearts. I would have made a mess of everything in front of me. And God knew this. And because I was submitted, um, I wasn't going to jump out of that. But I remember at the end, it got really, really hard. And I started to focus on what I wanted instead of what I had. And I started to have, I started to get offended. I started to have thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of bitterness. I started to dishonor my leadership. And all this stuff was coming to the surface, right? And what I did not know, what I did not have the foresight to be able to see is that I was in my furnace of affliction. I was in one of the greatest trials that God was, was leading me through so that my faith could be tested and that I could have the character and the maturity to be able to step into leading the Pines Church. But I did not see that. And so all these things were coming and I was like, what is wrong with me? And so I did the only thing that I know how to do and it's the thing that we must all do when we see these ugly things coming to the surface, jealousy, strife, bitterness, all of dishonor is I repented. And so I asked to meet with my leader and I repented with tears. And I'm not, I didn't just have tears in my eyes. I was ugly crying. And how many of you know a guy ugly crying is way worse than a girl ugly crying? I mean, I kind of had like the snot bubble with a, with a tear. It hits the snot and it's on your lips, but you don't have any tissues. You don't want to ask for any tissues because you're a dude. And it's just like you're blubbering. It, it, was, it was embarrassing. But I had the most gracious, kind leader. And, he, and he, he loved me, and he said, Matt, it, it sounds like to me that God is leading you through something and that he's getting ready to open a door. And I want to walk alongside you in helping excavate what God is trying to get rid of and what God's trying to step you into. And as I repented and let go of that, I just felt like all of that strife and that bitterness and that dishonor and that jealousy, it just came out of the side of me. And I felt clean and I felt renewed. And all these things that were like blocking my ability to be able to hear God, all of a sudden it was quiet. My mind was quiet. I wasn't spinning the wheel. When am I going to step into the next thing? When am I going to get mine? Because I was so consumed with myself, with this pride of of wanting to control my 
destiny. And so Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So many people, what does that mean? I thought salvation was a one-time gift. Yep, but it's a process. It's a process of sanctification, right? And to work, to exercise means to work out. And so I was working these things out in real time. My salvation, like wasn't, God wasn't like, you're saved, you're not saved. You're saved, you're not saved. You're saved, you're not saved. No, he was talking about I'm maturing in the faith. I'm maturing in my understanding of what God has called me to. I'm able to see the ugliness in myself and not try to tuck it and hide but to repent, to acknowledge it, to confess it. And that's what I did with my leader. I confessed my sin and then I repented of it. We live in a culture that doesn't want to confess sin. That doesn't want to acknowledge that there are things that are amiss in our lives. In fact, the reports that are coming out of Asbury, it's not the worship, it's not even the teaching. Do you need worship? Do you need teaching? Absolutely. It's the confession of sin and the willingness to repent and not be concerned with the opinions and the views of others because you're more concerned with your standing with God. And so I came forward, and now I'm in the process of this sanctification of working my salvation out with fear and trembling. You see, we all know who we have been and where we are. And where we are. So every single one of us know where we've been and where we are right now. But only God knows who we are becoming and where we are going. You do not know your future. God may have given you glimpses of your future, a few pieces to the puzzle of your future, but you do not have fully in focus your future, which is why we must be dependent upon God to step into and mature into the man or woman that God has destined us to be. It's this truth that will help us steer away from allowing bitterness, self-pity to take roots in our heart, take root in our heart, resulting in complaining from our lips. And this is what I kind of wanted to get to because this is what manifests in my life, okay, when I was at year 15, halfway through, for four months, I complained, I dishonored. Now, I didn't complain with my lips, okay? I had the sense not to do that, but I complained and murmured in my heart. And it was just a matter of time before it came out in my lips and then my actions. In Malachi 3, 14 through 16, out of the message, the Bible says this, God says, you, complainers, have spoken hard, rude words to me. You ask, when did we ever do that? When you complainers said, it doesn't pay to serve God. What do we ever get out of it? When we did what he said, what difference did any of it make? And you know, every single one of those statements I had made inside of my heart and inside of my mind. 
And there may be many of you that are listening, watching today who have asked the very same thing. How long is this freaking thing going to continue? How long do I have to face adversity? Why is it always me, the one where everybody else is getting promoted, everybody else is living their best life now, I have to be the one to endure these trials? It's bitterness taking root in your heart. It's complaining. And it's, based, it's the same as if you were to point a finger in the chest of God and say, hey, I don't like the way that you're doing things. And if I were you, I would do them differently. This is such a dangerous path. Because ultimately, through self-pity, we take the pill of pride, which the Bible says God will resist the proud and give grace to the humble. And let me tell you something. You never want to be in a place where God is resisting you. I, I want to I wanna, I wanna kind of wrap this up with this. This is out of Job 23.8. Job had endured unspeakable things. In fact, there are so many. David was given a promise, and then he finds himself, the king, throwing spears at him. Joseph was given a promise, and he's sold into slavery. Then he's accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Then he's thrown in a dungeon. Countless characters in the Bible were given promises, were given dreams, and then the test came to mature their character, to test their faith, so that when the dream finally came, they would be able to endure and not fall, which we see happen so often in our culture and in our society. There is a purpose to your pain. There is a purpose to these trials. And Job, he gets it. Took him a while, but he gets it. He says, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. He works on the left hand. I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. So here's Job saying, I can't see God. I can't see God to the left. I can't see God to the right. But here's Job still highlighting, I know that he's working on my left side. And I know that he's working on my right side. Even if I can't perceive him, I know that he's there. But he knows where I am going. Let me just tell you this. God knows where you are going. He penned every moment of your life before a single day passed. He is leading you into your future. He knows where you're going. And when he tests me, and he's going to test you, I will come out as pure as gold. Here's Job doubling down this, on this idea that tests right? Refine our faith and purify us. See, why do we as Christians get so freaked out about tests, right? I want a doctor that's passed some tests. I want a dentist that passed some tests. My wife just flew to Texas for a conference. Thank God that the pilots weren't just given the keys. Do, do they have keys to a plane? They weren't just given the ability to fly that plane without having passed tests. No, don't be a hypocrite. None of us would go to a dentist, a doctor, a pilot, a lawyer that hadn't been through some kind of trial 
or testing period. So why should you be any different to step into what God has destined you to become? See, tests just reveal what's already in you. And when God sends you tests, he sends them because he knows you have what's in you to be able to pass the test. This is great news. So if you feel like you've been going through this test, hallelujah, God knows that you have what it takes to pass this test so that you can step into the next season of your life. Now listen to Job's response. For I have stayed on God's path. I have allowed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. Remember last week we talked about the bread of anxious toil and the bread of his word, and that man does not live by bread alone, and that the world is always going to offer a counterfeit. There's like Mountain Dew and Mountain Lightning, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Skipper. Don't settle for the counterfeit. Stay true to God's word. Feed on God's word. Trust and do not depart from his ways. I'll close with this, and I really am going to close. Ecclesiastes 3 1 says this To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. This season although it may feel like a wilderness, it may feel like a trial, it may feel like tribulations, has a purpose. There is a purpose in the promise. Be patient. God is revealing things that are inside of you because he wants to skim off the copper, the zinc, so that you can be pure 24 karat gold instead of 14 karat gold. God is perfecting you. We are all, none of us are perfect, only Jesus was perfect, but we are all in the process of being perfected. And we want to lean into that. We don't want to numb ourselves from the crucible of maturing as believers because we have something that the world needs. God has given a specific and unique assignment to each and every single one of us. And your life was meant to shine a facet of his righteousness and glory that quite frankly, no one that's ever walked the earth and no one that ever will, will be able to shine the way that you can shine it. And you are meant to impact your sphere of influence. And so there's a purpose and a reason to this. And I just, want to, I just want to encourage you to continue to endure, to allow God's grace to take you further than your own ability can take you. I'll close with this, even though that's the third time I've said it. I mean it this time. I mean it. Okay. D.L. Moody said this, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. And I want you to think about those words throughout the course of the week. Do I own my life or have I truly given it to God? Or does God have 70% of it and 30% I kick around and I make my own decisions? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? The word Lord is recorded over 7,000 times in Scripture. The word Savior, 36. Where do you think God is putting the emphasis? Lord means he has supreme ownership. 
It means you have fully surrendered and yielded to his will and not your own. It means that you elevate the word of God above what you see, feel, and experience. It means even in the midst of pain and adversity, you follow the leading of the Lord because you know and understand that your faith is being perfected. And you're going to step into the promises of God if you faint not and you endure to the end. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the, everybody under the sound of my voice that's watching, that's listening. And I just pray that you would highlight the scriptures that these individuals needed to hear. And I pray not only would you highlight those, but that they would mark them down in their Bibles, that they would write them on an index card and put them in their card, that they would set a reminder on their phone to, to, to bring those scriptures up throughout the course of the day, and that they would invite you, Holy Spirit, into those moments of reading and meditating on those scriptures, and that you would reveal a facet of your glory that they had not previously seen. I pray that you would give them a faith that endures to the end, that you would multiply your grace and your wisdom into their lives, that they could shine in this dark world, pointing people to you. Father, I pray that they would feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, not only on this call or this video or this audio, but throughout the week, the month, and the years to come. Father, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Until next time. Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.